0: Hello, and welcome to Connect Point's podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much, and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. ...not behave itself unseemly maketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. And uh, I want to talk about that tonight under the heading of Love Never Fails. Somebody say, Love Never Fails. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. God bless you. Amen. Love never fails. This being February and Valentine's Day coming upon us, uh, as well, in addition to, as we have already stated, that 2020 is a year that we will be putting focus on the family and what it means to be a Christian family amen, in 2020, and how the Bible would teach us about how we interact with one another. Uh, I want us to take an opportunity tonight to learn from Scripture some things that love is and some things that love is not. If I say is and is not. Amen. Love is a, is a is a is a multi-faceted, if you will, uh, especially in our in our modern language. Uh, it has a whole lot of different approaches and ways that it can be used. We use the term love with possibly a wider variety uh, of definitions than than any other word. Really, it, I think it would be somewhat difficult to convey the meaning of the word love to someone who has never spoken the English language before and they're trying to learn love in English because it is a universal word, but we've kind of messed it up. And uh, trying to explain to someone how the same word applies to pets and ice cream and colors and spouses and kids, how that same word can apply to all of those things and uh and somehow mean something similar, but not mean anything similar at all, at the same time. You see what I'm saying now. It could be a little bit confusing. The English Bible uses the word "love" 311 times in 49 books of the Bible. Some they say, "Wow." That's a lot. That's a lot. In fact, if you do word studies very often, if you look up how many times is this word in the Bible, uh, you're going to realize that that's, that's significant, that a word would be used 311 times. Not only that, but that it would be so spread out throughout the Bible that 49 different books would have the word love used in it. That helps us to understand the importance of biblical love, godly love. Amen, Uh, and of course there's always 1 John chapter 4 and verse 16, and we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. So I could just say that one verse tonight and tell you that's really all you need to know about how important love is. That's pretty much the, the, the as, as powerful a statement as you can get on the value of love, and we're going to look at the Scripture tonight. It's even more interesting when we discover that the love chapter that is referred to by the Apostle Paul that we call the love chapter doesn't actually even use the word love at all. He uses the word charity eight times in, amen, thir- in chapter 13. Charity in the Greek is agape, which means love, affection, benevolence. Now there's a reason that this word charity was decided on by the translators into English as uh, being used instead of the word love being used. And I'll just use some uh, writings from one commentary and I'll read it to you. The translators here introduced, amen, a new translation for the sacred word love, which dominates the whole New Testament as its divine keynote. Love is throughout, amen, it is the whole thing of the keynote of the New Testament. Greek, uh, the, in the Greek, it possesses two words for love. One of these words is eros, implying as it did the love which springs from sensual passion. This word was dyed too deeply in pagan associations to be capable of redemption into holier passage." And holy your usage. The, this, this word eros in the in the Greek, which also means love, but it had been corrupted. They had taken that word, and and you know the eros, erotic. We understand. I don't need to go into that. But that word had been corrupted by the culture and begun to be applied unto a type of behavior that when they were looking at the translations, they said, this is not going to work for what we're trying to talk about. And so we see that the, the, the apostles, therefore, were compelled to describe the ideal of the gospel life by another word, which expressed the love of esteem and reverence and sacred tenderness. The word is agape. I say agape. This word was not indeed classical. Uh, no, in th- this commentator says no heathen writer had used it. And so that is part of the reason why we get to this most famous of chapters about love, and he uses the word charity the whole time because uh, he did not want to associate this pure love, or the translators did not want to associate this pure love with that which had been sinfully Corrupted. We find then the word agape, which is translated charity, which means love. So is anybody confused already? The New York Life Insurance Company spent $5.6 million in their Super Bowl commercial recently in which they described the different Greek words for love. It was an interesting thing. I got to see it a couple days later. It was an interesting thing. And I don't, it's, it's a fine, it's okay, it's not overly illicit, Um, but they describe the different words for love, and they spend a lot of time and money to try to convince people that New York Life Insurance uh, is a a company of agape love, Uh, that all of the other forms of love are fine, but, but they were about agape love, which is the highest form of love, because Agape is love in action. Everybody say love in action. I would tend to agree with them on that. I think agape love is something that we can only really learn from God, but God so loved the world that he gave So, love in action, right? And so, we keep that in mind, love in action, as we look at what Paul has to say. He sets it up powerfully with the previous verses. He says in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. If I say nothing. If I don't have love, the apostle Paul says, it doesn't matter if I speak to the mountain and it's cast into the sea. If I don't have love, it doesn't matter if I give everything I own to the poor and change their life completely. If I don't have love, it doesn't matter. It profiteth me nothing. So, I'd like to look now at the following verses in 1 Corinthians 13 and 4 through 7. And I just, let's just break this down a little bit on this Wednesday night. Everybody, all right? Amen. Let's just break this down. I really like the fact that we have uh, our, our time of prayer for needs and things like that before every service. And we try to do that before, uh, or I mean, in the process of every service because it is a refreshing time. It's a renewing time. It's an opportunity for someone to be healed, for somebody to be delivered. How many know that God is doing miracles when we're up here praying for people and lives are being changed and hearts are being touched? Amen. But you'll notice that uh, uh, new new members and first time guests and and and, and long seasoned members all will come up and in 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 these times because you learn after a while that anytime time you're in the presence of God, that powerful things can happen. And you learn as you grow in your Christian walk uh, that you need, uh, man a little bit of a, a a dose of that in in the middle of your week. I'm thankful on a Wednesday night that we can have the power of God begin to move and flow and touch people's lives amen we could cut the service uh, by probably 15 or 20 minutes uh, shorter but we we would have to lose that powerful thing and I think it's great that we do that first Corinthians 13 and 4 says charity suffereth long and it is kind and charity envieth not and charity vaunteth not itself is not puffed up love suffereth Long. I'm gonna read these verses as they're written, but you're gonna have to make sure you remember while we're talking that charity means love. Love suffereth long. It is long suffering. It, and this is a powerful statement, it patiently endures. It patiently endures. We learn this from the Lord in 2 Peter 3 and 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to who? Us. He's long-suffering to us not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He puts up with a lot trying to give people an opportunity to repent. He will put up with a lot to try to get people another altar opportunity, another on their knees beside their bed crying out to God opportunity, another night crying in a car, amen, another morning waking up ashamed of what they did the night before. He will put up with a lot to give people a chance to repent. He's long-suffering. He patiently endures, but we don't just see it in him. It should be in us also. Somebody say in me. It should be in us also. If we have him in us, then we should be people that are long-suffering. You're going to see as I'm teaching tonight that all of these attributes that the Apostle Paul is talking to, the church, the Corinthian church, these are people, by the way, that are in church, baptized and filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, trying to live for God. The Apostle Paul is pointing out to them how they should be because this is how Christ was. Amen, and to be Christian means to be Christ-like, and so we are endeavoring to be able to try to do that in our life, and so if it's in Christ, it should be in us because Galatians 5.22, you know this. Amen, if we have the Spirit of God in us, then we should have the fruit of the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law, one of the fruits of the Spirit that people should see in us is long-suffering, patient endurance should be seen in us. Even in the Old Testament, the psalmist knew this about God. In Psalm 86 and 15, he says, But thou, O Lord, are a God full of compassion, and you are gracious and long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and in truth. This is the Old Testament God that so many like to pretend or portray as if he's some totally different God. That he was just a God of just opening up the the, the ground and swallow people in the pit and and the fire falling from heaven and he was just so mean. But he's not that. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. But this psalmist understood his God to be long-suffering. And he was thankful to know that his God was long-suffering because the very next verse, Psalm 86 and 16 says, Oh, turn unto me and have mercy upon me. Give thy strength unto thy servant and save the son of thine handmaid. The psalmist was glad that his God was long-suffering because he needed his God to be long-suffering. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. He needed his God to be long-suffering them. And so people who have needed a God to patiently endure them should show that same love to those that they have to patiently endure. Amen. I won't make you raise your hands, but if I did, I would hope we would have 100% cooperation. Has God ever had to patiently endure you? And if he has patiently endured me, then I, I, hallelujah, being a representation of him, being filled with his spirit, should patiently endure others. Paul wrote to Timothy, amen, the person that he was discipling, that he was working with. And he said in 1 Timothy 1:15 and 16, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. How be it, he says, for this cause I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Paul tells Timothy, I'm the cheapest of sinners and God has shown long suffering towards me so that other people might be able to see that he'll show long suffering to them too. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah when we acknowledge that God has shown us this kind of love, we are not ashamed to be an example to those around us. We're not ashamed to show that God was, had to be long-suffering towards us or even still is long-suffering towards us because we all need this kind of love. And because we need it, we give it. Oh, hallelujah. Because we need it, we give it. It's in our ability to patiently endure others that we begin to resemble the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. But we don't just patiently endure doing nothing. Remember, this is love in action. So we don't just stand idly by doing nothing, but it says, 1 Corinthians thirteen four: charity suffereth long and is kind. And is kind, kind here means to show yourself useful, to act benevolently. Benevolent means kind-hearted, warm-hearted, tender-hearted, is kind, is kind, is an action. It is kind. It's an action that we must decide to take, and it involves the heart. It involves a heart. Love, a man suffers long, and it is kind. It's kind hearted, it's warm hearted, it's tender hearted. Even as we are patiently enduring, we show ourselves to be useful to them. Though they may seemingly be a waste of time to our fleshly understanding. We show ourselves to be useful to them. We don't just love them that love us. Immediately after, Jesus states the golden rule. He says in Luke 6.32, For if you love them which love you, what think have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. How is that special? How are you doing anything great? Why are you patting yourself on the back? Because I love someone who loved me. (laughs) Kindness to those who are kind to you should be easy. Kindness to a complete stranger really shouldn't be that difficult. Kindness to someone who should love you but doesn't. For that to happen, you're going to have to have the love of God in you. Amen. Charity, he says. Charity envieth not. Love envieth not, which means it doesn't covet. It's to be jealous over. It doesn't get jealous over things. Envy, a a, a feeling of discontented or resentful longing that is brought about by someone else's possessions, qualities, or even luck, even their luck. How did they get so lucky? You ever thought that or maybe even said it? How did they get so lucky? Envy, envy, charity, love, envy. Not. You see, the things that that are listed that love is and the things that are listed that love is not, they're both of extreme importance. We we need to know what love is. We also need to know what love is not. Having this understanding gives us a better clarity of love. For instance, if someone was to say to you, Uh, oh, he's a good-looking man, but he's not vain, right? It helps the person to understand what you're saying because assumptions are often attached to descriptive attributes. When somebody says something, we almost without thinking about it attach assumptions to it. And so if someone is to say, well, he's a good-looking man. And you could think, oh, well, I don't want some guy that's just staring at himself in the mirror all the time, doing his hair, looking at his clothes. And so they say, well, he's a good-looking man, but he's not vain. Oh, well, that helps me to understand more. So the fact that love envieth not is is just as helpful as knowing what love does do. We cannot show godly love, he says here, if we show petty jealousy, if we show envy. Paul says, charity vaunteth not itself. It's not puffed up. Let me say it's not puffed up. Love is not boastful. It's not haughty. These can seem like similar actions, boastful meaning showing excessive pride and self-satisfaction in one's own achievements and their own possessions and their own abilities. And haughty means arrogantly superior, showing a lack of respect to those that you know, aren't as quite as good as you. The Bible says that we're not supposed to be boastful or haughty or that love is not boastful or haughty. It, it doesn't vaunt itself. It, it doesn't puff it, itself up. Uh, there is a, the, the, thing, the thing about this is, you, you see, you, you have the right to, to feel pride in your accomplishments. You have the right to, uh, to feel good about achieving some things in life. Uh, however, how you show that to those around you can really make you or break you. If you accomplish something cool, if you, if you accomplish a task that's, that's, that, that's a, a, an achievement that's really doing something, I'm not saying you just got up today. If you're bragging about the fact that you're here, that's about the lowest form of, of, of braggadocious behavior. Is that a word, braggadocious? That's the lowest form of braggadocious behavior. Well, I'm here. What are we supposed to do, clap? What are we supposed to do? But you can really accomplish some things in life. You can really do some things that are really cool, that are really meaningful, that really took a lot of effort and a lot of work. And you should feel good about that. And you can take a a healthy pride in your accomplishments. But really, it's it's how you relay that and talk about that and show that to the people around you that can become a negative, high High achievers can can sometimes be confused at people's reactions to their achievements. High achievers sometimes uh, can fail to see their own uh, boastfulness and and their haughtiness. and, And, you know, you just really don't have to tell everyone how great you are. If you have to tell them, are you really that great? And he says, uh, when he talks about the the boast or the haughty or the vaunted itself and puffeth itself up, uh, you could say it like this. You really shouldn't have to put others down to build yourself up. You shouldn't have to talk bad about other people or be accusatory or negative towards other people just to make yourself feel good. Love doesn't do that. If I say love doesn't do that, love doesn't do that. that. And 1 Corinthians 13 and 5, look at it with me. Love doth not behave itself unseemly, it seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, and thinketh no evil. Love does not behave itself unseemly. Somebody say unseemly, not a word that we use a whole lot in today's vocabulary. It's a, another thing, by the way, that love doesn't do. Paul spends a lot of time talking about things that love isn't and love doesn't do. What he means by that love does not behave itself unseemly is if I can flip to the other side of the coin, it means that love is courteous, that love knows how to behave in a polite way that love knows how to understand the situation and hold back your feelings and don't you know tear up the papers in front of the cameras <laughs> that love love doesn't do that it's courteous it understands the moment it understands the room it understands other people's feelings that love is, is never uncivil. That love considers its behavior. We could use a healthy dose of that. We we spend a lot of time considering other people's behavior. We could use a healthy dose of considering our own behavior. In our society. I'm not just talking to you. You just the ones happen to be here. But in, in our world today. Love seeks to please and not show offense. Seeks to please. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't read that negatively. Read it positively. Read it with love. It seeks to please. It doesn't want to offend. It seeks not its own, he says. That means it's unselfish. Everybody say unselfish. Unselfish. You see, because there's something powerful about love being unselfish, about love seeking not its own. By, by eliminating selfishness, love can make uh, uh, two become one. And it's one of the reasons why this is used in marriage counseling and it's quoted at weddings and stuff like that a lot. It doesn't just apply to that, but it's one of the reasons it's involved. Because unselfishness can allow two people to really unify. It's, it's uh, unity is formed when selfishness is removed. A value system is formed when selfishness is removed. Amen. Pure relationship, godly ambition. These types of things can come to pass when selfishness is removed. And love isn't Isn't selfish. People with real love can accomplish monumental tasks because they can work together in unity. So it's not only marriage, but yet it's very powerfully accomplished in marriage. It's one of the greatest ways that it's illustrated. Where a person that seemingly has their own uh, uh, potential and their own life purpose and, and their own set of accomplishments and, and, and talents and abilities can, can unite themselves with someone else who has all of their own lists of all of those things. And yet, powerfully, when you remove selfishness from the equation, those two people can bring together all of those abilities and talents and purpose and power and can accomplish much more together than they would have ever accomplished on their own. And so we follow love when we are unselfish. Love is not selfish. It seeketh not her own. It's not easily provoked. Love rises above that which would try to pull it down. And there's a lot of things trying to pull love down today. It rises above that which would try to destroy it, that which would try to make it less than, that which would try to pull it out of its its spiritual, godly example and pull it down into our human level and understanding and our base reality. But it is still, even though there's a lot trying to pull love down, love is not easily provoked. There is a higher plane of, of living that, that can only come in Christ and we can only accomplish it when we have Christ in us. And when we have Christ in us, we can, we can learn and, and we can achieve and we can uh, exist in a form of love uh, that Jesus uh, would, would show us and tell us, Luke 6, 29. But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies. Do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you. Pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Hmm. Love, love is not easily provoked. Now, I can, I can say all day, love is not easily provoked. But then when Jesus gives an example That includes somebody slapping me across the face. Then I begin to understand what he means. That love is not easily provoked. It was Jesus that showed us in Luke 22, 63-65. And the men that held Jesus mocked him and smote him. And when they had blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is it that smote thee? And many other things blasphemously spake they against him. Jesus showed us. He didn't just tell us. Oh, hallelujah. He didn't just tell us. He showed us what love looks like. It's easy to tell other people how they're supposed to love. It's not that difficult for me to stand up here tonight and teach this. This is wonderful scriptures. It's not that hard to study out. It's a great thing. It's a whole lot easier to tell you that if someone slaps you across the face, you should offer them the other cheek as well. And if they steal your suit coat, then you should give them your winter jacket too. But Jesus also showed it. He also showed it. And Acts eight thirty two says, the place of the scripture which we read was this, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. He opened not his mouth. Now, let's just, let's just, Talk amongst ourselves for a second. Slapped him across the face. Buffeted him. Abused him. Molested him. Cursed at him. And he opened not his mouth. He opened not his mouth to say anything in response. He would not let them pull love down. He did that. So I just got to say, I just have to say it. The next time someone cuts you off when you're driving. They didn't touch you. They didn't beat you. They didn't curse your name. They just cut you off. Can we keep our mouths Because here's the deal. If when the light turns green and they don't go within a second and I'm yelling at them, then I'm probably not going to be able to take a slap across the face and say, here, you, you missed this side. But Christ in us, right? Christ in us is supposed to be something that teaches us that love is not easily provoked. Not easily provoked. Love thinketh no evil. I'll just move on quickly here. got a little uncomfortable. Love thinketh no evil. I say no evil. no evil. I want you to think about this as I read what this means. This is pretty powerful. Love thinketh no evil. Love makes allowances... For the falls of others and is ready to love them back up. Oh, man. I was studying that out. That hit me so hard. Love doesn't think evil. Love makes allowances for people to fall. And when they do fall, love is ready to help them back up. Oh, hallelujah. And we can struggle so much with that in our humanity, and we can struggle so much with that in our flesh because for some reason we expect everybody to be as perfect as we are. Except we don't really tell anybody about our imperfections. We keep those quiet, and we keep those hidden. And it's, it's really quite interesting because uh, we, we judge ourselves based upon uh, who we want to be, and we judge others based upon who they are. And so I, I can do something and they can do the same exact thing, but, but I, don't, I don't say anything to myself because I'm like, well, that was a mistake. That's not really who I want to be. I'm trying to be a better person. But when they do it, I, I, I point my finger at judgment and say, how dare they? But love, love, love sees and makes allowance for them to fail. Oh, hallelujah. 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 When's the last time you told somebody that you love? It's, it's okay. It's okay to fail. It's not, it's not justifying. It's not, it's not putting a stamp of approval. Of you're not saying I want you to fail every day. But when's the last time do they know that if they fall, you're even going to stick around to love them back up? Now, we know about, here's the thing about it. We know that about Jesus. There is no doubt in our minds about Jesus. We know that he's not going to leave us nor forsake us. We know that he's not going to turn his back on us. We know because all of us have cried out countless prayers of repentance and felt the love of God almost immediately come wash over us. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt That his love never fails. But do the people that we love know that our love is never going to fail? Because here's the deal. It's really hard to have the depth, the height, the breadth, the level of intimacy and connection with another person in this life if you don't know for sure that if you fall, they're gonna love you back up. It's very hard to have that. So love thinketh no evil. Love would never devise evil, but will even excuse evil that is done to it. Evil that is done to Love. Love would never m- meditate. Oh, I, we need to listen, listen, listen. This is a, this is a big one. This it hits me right in the face. Love would never meditate or dwell on the evil that has been inflicted upon it. Man. It's powerful, isn't it? This is what it means that love... Thinketh no evil. Love would never sit around and just dwell and meditate and think about the hurtful things that have been done to it. It would never just devise and and, and go over and over and over in its head about the, the things that were said, that were done. Love doesn't think evil. Love, when doubt is present, will take the more loving view of a person or a situation. Oh man, I was studying this out and this just kept hitting me over and over again. But you think about Christ and it makes sense. Love. When it sees or hears or is made known of a situation, if there is doubt in the situation, if it is not clear, if there is not not 100% evidence, love will say, I think I'll just believe the best. I'll think the best about them. I'll believe the best about them. Oh, hallelujah. Because there's doubt, because there's uncertainty, because nobody really knows for sure what happens, and so I will take the loving view of that person or that situation. Oh, hallelujah. First Corinthians 13 and 6, let me go quickly. Now, rejoiceth, love rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. You see, what, what he's saying here is love doesn't rejoice in sin, It doesn't rejoice in those who commit sin. And it doesn't rejoice in those who fall into sin. It takes no pleasure in those who who are sinning. And it takes no pleasure when their sin destroys them. What is it about our flesh? What is it about this flesh that if somebody, if somebody turns their back on God and turns their back on this and turns their back on the word and the scripture and even maybe the church and they go out and they're living this, this sinful life and, and just throwing it in our face and all that kind of stuff. What is it about our flesh that when we see that sin begin to turn on them and begin to work them over and begin to beat them up and begin to tear them down? What is it about our flesh that somehow finds some sort of satisfaction What is it about that I I told them so? They should have known better. What is that? That's not love. It's not love. Love doesn't rejoice in iniquity. Love rejoices in the truth, which this, this phrasing here actually means love rejoices with truth. It rejoices when truth rejoices. Amen. See, how am I supposed to know when to rejoice? Rejoice when truth rejoices. You never go wrong then. The, The solution to sin is the gospel. Right? The solution to sin is the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior. And love rejoices when the gospel is activated in a life. Love celebrates when truth celebrates. Quickly now, 1 Corinthians 13:7, love beareth all things, it believes all things, it hopeth all things, and it endureth all things. All things. Let me just clear up that for a minute. All things means as applied to the whole and to the whosoever. So to the thing, to the activity, to the action, to the person, all things. All things. So love beareth all things. It, in, it means it endures wrongs and evils and covers them with a, this is something very powerful, it covers them with a quiet restraint. A quiet restraint. It covers them. Love has no need to point out failure or accuse others. It's it's its desire is to give time to those who may need to recover. Love just kind of st- is present it quietly lets it be known that it is there for them. Oh, hallelujah. Love beareth all things. Love believeth. Somebody say believeth. Love believeth all things. That means it takes the best and kindest views of people and circumstances. It believeth all things. As one commentary stated, love is entirely alien from the spirit of the cynic the pessimist, the rival, the anonymous slanderer, or the secret detractor. Love is entirely alien from that. Love doesn't know anything about that. Love doesn't understand that or get that or want to be anything, a part of it. Love doesn't want to be anywhere around the spirit of the cynic, the spirit of the pessimist, the spirit of the rival, the anonymous slanderer, the secret detractor. Love is shown, hear me now, love is shown and it survives the light. Love, when the sun comes up, doesn't have to run and hide. Love can be said out loud. Love can be told to the public. Love can be shouted from the rooftops. It's hate that needs the dark. It's hate that needs the quiet. It's hate that needs the let's get together and have a little conversation about so-and-so. It's hate that talks about people behind their back. It's hate that does that. Love can be exposed to the light and still live Love believeth all things. It believeth all things. And I just say to us tonight it is much easier and it is much more pleasant to live in love than the alternative. It's much easier to live in love because when I live in love, I can say that my yay is yay and my nay is nay. And what I told this person standing over here in the corner, if there was a secret microphone taped on and I didn't know it and it was going through the system, I would be okay. If every word I said was being recorded and sent You got, the, got Siri on your, your, your iPhone, people. Does Siri, ever just, does Siri ever just start typing what you're saying every once in a while? You're supposed to have to say, hey, Siri, and then you tell it what to say. But every once in a while, I'll hear a beep and I'll look down and everything that's coming out of my mouth is being typed on my screen. Now, I don't know if that's a glitch in the system or just God <laughs> keeping us all in check. Because I don't know what, I, I don't want to have to worry about what I said, and I don't want to have to worry about who Siri sent it to. Right? Love hopeth all things. When there is no room, and I'm almost done. When there is no room left, hear the, let me start over so we hear it clear. Love hopeth all things when there is no room left for believing good of a person love brings hope when there's there's no room left they, they they they've used up everything that you could possibly think that could possibly be anything good left any 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 hope of restoration any it's all gone all hope is gone but love love goes and gets more hope <laughs> and says oh, I I think there's still a chance. I think it can still happen. I think it can still take place. Love anticipates the repentance of the transgressor. Love anticipates their restoration. Love sees them and says, this is going to be awesome what God's about to do in them. Love sees them and says, oh, the possibilities of their life are amazing. Love sees them in their darkest hour, in their deepest pit, in the midst of their greatest mistake. And love says, man, God is about to get some glory in this situation, and I can't wait to see my brother restored, my sister restored. I can't wait to see the love of God. But if that's the love of God, if we believe that's the love of God, and God is in us, then that love should also be in us. It should also be in us. Luke seventeen three 3-4, take heed to yourselves. Take heed yourselves. Endureth. Love endureth. Everybody say endureth. It means to remain and have fortitude no matter what. Love does that. Luke 17. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And everybody say and, and. it doesn't end at rebuke him. And is a conjunction. <laughs> it means there's more. Don't stop at the rebuke, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. John, Job, Job 13, 15, though he slay me, what? Yet I will still What? I will still trust in him because there's an endurance. Love endures. Love may not understand what's going on. Love may not be able to explain what's going on. You may ask everybody in the world what's going on, and nobody can tell you what's going on, but love endures. Anyway, Matthew 10, 21, 22, and the brother shall deliver up to the brother death, and the father the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death, and ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that endureth to the end, Shall be saved. Love endureth all things, and then Paul, stand with me, please. Paul then begins to wrap it all up. First Corinthians thirteen eight, he says, "Charity never faileth." If I say love, never fails. And so my reason tonight the the goal the purpose whatever you want to say is for every it's for every married couple it's for every father and son mother and daughter it's for every brother and sister it's for every friend real real friend it's for every brother and sister in Christ it's for all of us and for everyone we would ever meet, is that we would not forget that love never fails. And that by that statement, by that statement, it means... Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online at connectpointupc.com, And also don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you, and we hope you have a great week.